Welcome to the Heartled Brand Podcast. I'm your host, Abby McGrew, and today I'm going to be chatting with Suzanne Shade. She is a creative strategist and entrepreneur based in San Francisco, and in 2020, she launched Bare Hands to change the way we feel about nail care. With their hero product, the Dry Gloss Manicure, Suzanne has created a truly natural and sustainable alternative to the tools and ingredients of traditional salon manicures, giving us the methods to embrace a natural nail look that's shiny and nourished with the same ingredients you would find in high-end organic skincare. I'm so excited for you to listen to this conversation. So let's jump straight to the interview. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show and share your story with us. Oh my gosh. Thank you, Abby. Thanks so much for having me. This is, I love, I love talking about all this kind of stuff. I'm, I'm so excited. Let's get started. Yeah. So I always start the interview with an icebreaker question so people can Uh get to know you a little bit better. So I would love to hear what was your dream job as a kid? I saw this question and I laughed because the immediate thing, there's actually two jobs. One was like a little kid job and one was like a teenager job. So the little kid job, I am obsessed with horses. Like I've always been obsessed with horses since I was a little kid. And I lived in this like suburban neighborhood in Massachusetts, but like oddly there was this big horse barn down at the end of the street. And I used to kind of escape and like go down to the barn and it was about like a 50 horse barn. So it was like huge and I'm five years old and I'm just walking up and down the aisles and I'm like, oh, I would love to work at this barn. Like I will do anything. (laughs) So that was my little horsey fantasy. And then the other one was I got a graphic design degree. And when I got out of design school, you know, again, this is still sort of the Boston area. I was looking for a job, my first job out of school. And there was a job at the MIT press in Cambridge and it was just, I thought like the perfect job for me. It was basically, you know, sort of doing design for academic journals and things like that, but it had a great reputation. And I just thought that that was like going to be my dream job. I didn't wind up getting that job, but I, you know, my career just sort of veered off into a place that I think was probably more, more suitable for me in my wild nature. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) those were my two jobs. Yeah. I I love that you mentioned like the <laughs> little kid dream job and then the yeah. like more realistic <laughs> yeah. dream oh, job. For sure. I mean, and then it just keeps changing. Like I actually mm-hmm. I'm kind of on my like third iteration of my career right now. So, mm-hmm. you know, my my dream job actually keeps <laughs> it keeps rolling. So mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure my first like little kid dream job. <laughs> I yeah. only remember because my parents have told me I had uh-huh. a babysitter when I was really little named Valerie. And so uh-huh. at like maybe five years old, I told my mom when I grew up, I wanted to be a babysitter named Valerie. And I wanted to be <laughs> like 12 years old because that's all she was. Like infinitely. It was funny. Yeah. As a kid, you know, <laughs> I oh, wasn't man. really thinking of it as a job. I just wanted to be her. <laughs> you know, you could have like a a graphic novel spinoff of that, you know, perpetual 12 year old Valerie. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I love that. Awesome. So I want to dive into your story um, Mm -hmm. as far as starting the business, bare hands, how that whole journey kind of unfolded. So Mm -hmm. 
you mentioned you went to school for design. So mm-hmm. what were you doing before starting Bare Hands? Sure. Sure. Yeah, and I started to have a career in design. It was actually like the early 90s. So it's a, a super long time ago. There weren't that many graphic designers. So I was kind of a unique little niche of a person. And like for the first, you know, maybe five or six years I did, I worked actually at advertising agencies because at that stage, advertising like wasn't design forward until like Nike came along and, you know, it, it basically kind of changed the game. And so I was like a designer in staff with ad agencies and I just really loved that. And, you know, it was just incredibly smart and creative people. And I worked for really big brands and just kind of got a lot of great exposure to strategy and, and all that stuff. So that was that was pretty much like the bulk of my career. And I was consulting. So again, like I had all different kinds of clients across every single industry. So, you know, one of the things that I was really fascinated about was the just business problems in general and like how they overlapped and there were commonalities between businesses and then each business was, you know, very unique and different. So, you know, I got very involved in kind of how to solve business problems for folks through creative. And, you know, as time went on, you know, and I obviously live in San Francisco and, you know, I've been here for like 20 plus years and it's a really cool culture of innovation and, you know, business innovation specifically. And I always joke about it because it's like, it's like being in LA when everybody's like, oh, I got a screenplay. And everybody in San Francisco is just like, oh my God, I got this, I got this business idea. So, (laughs) um, so I've always really felt like, you know, I've always played around in that space and been like, oh, you know, what about this? What about this? Whether it's an app, whether it's in healthcare, whether, so I have this whole list of things that I have been tinkering around with. And you know, one of them was nail care and, you know, sort of seeing the space in nail care where I was like, okay, this is, there's something that isn't moving along in a progressive way, you know, it's sort of stopped in this place of, you know, oh, you know, we're going to formulate non-toxic polishes, but we're kind of done now and we're okay. You know, we've taken all the nasty things out and we're just going to kind of cruise with that. And, you know, I just kind of kept looking at that critically and being like, you know, I don't think that problem is necessarily solved. And I don't know how to solve it. And I just kind of kept going with my life. And, you know, three, four, five years went by. And I just kind of kept thinking about the idea. And then one day I just really started researching, you know, what could possibly be done. And when I kind of got to that stage where I found it, I was like, oh, okay, well, I guess this this could be my journey based on the fact that I found this technology. So when I started the business, it was all you know, I was going pretty methodically because I had also, I had started a business in like 2005. I had started an online art gallery, which was really fun. And that was kind of my my other like retail adventure. So this time around, I was like, okay, you know, I'm going to be, you know, pretty methodical about mapping out my business plan and like really figuring out the the path to profitability and, and what that would look like. So And also all throughout product development, like there was kind of the the magical thing was, is that there was sort of nothing that like really hung up and got stuck. You know, it just kept flowing and flowing and flowing. And I found people to help me and it just kept going and going and going. And there's kind of a, you know, in a spiritual way, it's like when something kind of is giving you that, that fluidity in the universe. It's like, you just kind of keep going. Mm -hmm. And that's what it was. And, 
I mean, is it, can I actually explain to folks what my product does so that they know? Yes, please. Cool. Yeah. I mean, so the product itself is a, it's a, it's a new technology for buffing your nails and it's glass actually. And so the surface of the buffer is actually completely different than any other technology. And and that's the piece of it that basically kind of that was the magical moment when when that piece came together and you were able to get these like kind of really immediate results and i remember testing it with my dad (laughs) like he was in town and we were like you know shining his thumbnail and he was just like whoa (laughs) what is going on with this thing this is this is i've never seen this before and i'm like yep this is where we're gonna go so yeah i mean it's 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 been kind of crazy because, you know, it is something that people have never really seen before. So, you know, there's a lot of education around it and there's a lot of mindset shifting that kind of needs to happen within the nail industry. So, you know, I've been approaching that from a pretty gentle (laughs) perspective, Mm. Um, even though I think, you know, my sort of core opinions are that it's not, you know, most of what people are using in a kind of a salon protocol, like aren't necessarily safe. So yeah, I mean, it's, but I feel like people are actually quite attached to their nails on their nail routine. So it's very emotional uh, Mm -hmm. how attached they are to it and, and what kinds of results they get from it and what kind of feedback they get from it and, and the self-expression piece. And so there's, there's quite a lot of emotion involved, so, yeah, I mean, you can see in my branding, like I'm actually not coming out like very aggressively in the, you know, stop using your nail polish, you know, mm-hmm. it's not safe, you know, it's, it's much more of like, hey, I've got this new thing that you can try. And, you know, that's actually been, you know, people are appreciating that approach, because, you know, there are a lot of people who, you know, have taken on the method and continue to, you know, get salon manicures once in a while, that sort of thing. So from a brand perspective, it's been interesting in trying to sort of shape it for what people really gravitate towards, you know? Mm -hmm. And just to like, go back to kind of that beginning phase, a -hmm. little bit, I'm just curious, because you said you kind of had, you know, a list of different ideas, (laughs) you know, and, and what, what made what made that one stand this, out? Yeah. What what made this idea stand out and yeah. feel like, okay, yes. this is the one that I want to yes. go with? No, I mean, it's a great question. And I think it's, this is kind of the, this is really key, I think, for everyone who's listening, who is like, hey, I've got a bunch of ideas. How do I decide which one is mine? And I think about it as, you know, if you were to draw circles, <laughs> you know, and say, okay, you know, there's maybe three different circles. One is, you know, what does the world need? I mean, what is sort of pressing right now? And what do you feel really compelled to solve in terms of, you know, social responsibility, sustainability? And, and then there's what am I good at? You know, what are, what are the skills can I contribute to that? And then the other piece for me really was as a marketer understanding how difficult it was to, to do this kind of business is to say, is there anything new in this space that I can explore, you know, that you're, mm-hmm. that you're not sort of 
in a sea of other people who are doing the same thing, which is not to say that it's impossible to do something that a lot of other people are doing, but it's, for me, that was really important. The important piece was, you know, having enough of a sort of runway without a ton of competition to be able to decide and feel out what that customer was and what the landscape looked like. And, you know, not only was that more interesting to me, but it was also, I saw sort of a greater path to being profitable at that stage, you mm-hmm. know, to, to be in a place that not many people were, were in. So mm-hmm. when you take those three circles and you kind of overlap them, and then another personal piece for me, I have a 14 year old. And when I started the business, she was before middle school. And as a mom, it was, you know, what can I do that is flexible, that doesn't require a huge team. It doesn't require a huge amount of capital. That was also really important for me. I used, you know, savings reserves that I had. So I'm fully bootstrapped and Mm -hmm. I still am. So yeah, it was basically, you know, my other sort of personal piece was about freedom and flexibility and the, the ability to sort of manage this sustainably on my own, which again, it's, that's not everybody's journey and everybody, especially, you know, again, in like the landscape in San Francisco, everybody's like, oh my God, are you working on your pitch deck and you're getting investors (laughs) and all these things. And there was a part of me in the beginning was like, I just, I'm really not attracted to that right now because I'm still learning how to be a business person, to be honest. And I needed to be able to, to have that scope. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'm curious, what were some of the big, like early challenges that you faced Mm -hmm. when starting the business? I know, you know, you mentioned how the, the buffer is, you know, new and and different, like manufacturing that was that a challenge? Yeah. I mean, actually, so that piece wasn't that challenging, surprisingly, mm-hmm. but the, you know, I, I'm actually going to say COVID and this, the, you know, cause I launched like right as COVID was stop, starting in 2020 mm-hmm. and the things that have happened in the business landscape since then, sort of this cascade effect of supply chain, yeah. rising costs, the Apple privacy, transition in 21, like completely changed the landscape of digital advertising. So, you know, my business plan built in 2019 was actually built for a D2C landscape that in many ways no longer exists Mm. in the same way. So to me, Mm. like that's actually been my biggest challenge is sort of how to adapt and just kind of tool the business in a way that is I, th- I think it kind of suits my more <laughs> kind of conservative way of going and my slower way of going. Because again, we see a lot of retail companies having to, you know, do a lot of sort of heavy maneuvering in this aspect. So, I mean, I would say that's been a big challenge. Another big challenge actually is how this sits within the beauty press. Mm-hmm. And the more I learn about the editorial, the business of editorial and how many intertwining webs of influence and money are involved in editorials, brands, professionals, dermatologists, things like that. It's very kind of intertwined in a, you know, to benefit a lot of the bigger businesses. So I'm definitely in a stage right now where I'm trying to adapt and 
you know, see where I fit within that landscape. Mm-hmm. Uh, my brand mission really is to to have a safer landscape for nail care and for people to consider nail care more as self-care and more as something that you can really enjoy doing and like really sort of have more of a personal connection to yourself. And that's a pretty big change, you know, from what is happening now and getting people in the press to talk about kind of a revolution in nail care is, has been a lot more challenging than I thought it would. And Mm. I think from the outside looking in, you're like, well, why wouldn't somebody want to know somebody disrupting an industry? Right. Like I think a, a really good example are like home cleaning products. There's a lot of press around that. There's people who are upending like laundry detergent and making that more sustainable and things like that. There aren't as as I'm starting to realize, it's like there aren't as many industry ob- obstacles at that level. Mm. And so again, getting the word out has been more challenging than I thought. <laughs> so mm-hmm. and this is why I'm super grateful for folks like you to have podcast because it basically is like another way for for people to discover the product and discover the mission that's kind of sits outside of that so mm-hmm. yeah and that kind of ties into my next question but I'm curious because yeah. yeah I I totally understand what you're saying that you know with any any business that has a product that is a a new approach that people aren't familiar with. And Mm -hmm. like you said, there has to be a lot of education with your marketing and and everything. Is there anything as you've, you know, tried different things to overcome that anything that you feel has been the most helpful in getting your message out there in the way that you want it to be? (laughs) That's a great question. Yeah, that's a great question. Because you know, again, every single brand and every single product is uniquely different and how people connect to it. And the, the best connections that I found actually is doing like very basic education on how to do a natural nail protocol and how to explain what's the difference between the cuticle that sits on top of your nail, that like flaky bit of cuticle that you're nail tech actually removes with cuticle remover and then scrapes with a with a metal scraper like my method is totally different so mm-hmm. it's breaking those kind of very basic pieces down and saying okay this is this is why this cuticle layer exists you know this is how the nail is made up these are different kinds of keratin layers and you know then there's a whole topic of how to care for your cuticles properly basically the 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 part of the cuticle that actually seals the skin and the nail together. So that sort of flap piece, that's actually called the eponychium. So yeah. And I think with education of all kinds, it's like I kind of, I'm running ahead of what everybody knows. And so I'm always continuously learning more, but you have to kind of back up and say, okay, if if somebody's looking at this from the very beginning of the journey, Mm -hmm. what does that look like? And how basic do you have to get? So that's kind of, that's fun and challenging to see how people react to that stuff because the questions that I get from customers are, you know, like I have a pedicure product too that actually is another glass product that has a different substrate on it. And she said, do I have to take my gel polish off on my pedicure in order to use that 
tool. And I was like, wow, that's a really great question. Like not, you know, people haven't asked that question before. So like through all the hundreds of questions that I get, then I get this read of like, okay, this is how people understand this. This is how most people understand it. And then there's kind of a, you know, obviously like a, like a, a scale with that. And then how do you produce content and videos that really service that need? And you know, to be honest with you, I've only scratched the surface of it. And so I think my challenge as a marketer is like, how do you, how do you really kind of lean into that, the content that people are really gravitating towards? And from the brand perspective, like when I first launched the brand, I think the landscape of branding looked fairly different than what it is, even in the three years. And Instagram was kind of the dominant Uh, social media, things were a lot more aesthetically forward. People were really trusting that sort of very heavily designed, funded D2C vibe. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of what has happened over the last three years and with the rise of TikTok and people are not necessarily wanting that aesthetic layer. They're not wanting this like aspirational layer. They want real connection. They want to know who you are. They want to know like why you're doing this. They want to know how your product works. And so, you know, I've had to kind of retool my approach from like a more aesthetic, aspirational, like vision of who a woman is, who is a natural nail woman and, and having to kind of play around with that and play around beyond it, Mm -hmm. Uh, which has also been super exciting because like I actually even though professionally I'm sort of trained to do the aesthetics and the branding and all that stuff to, to kind of break out of that mold a little bit is, is really kind of more sort of my personal personality. So I'm kind of having fun with that piece of it and just kind of meeting people exactly where they are instead of where I want them to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, I, feel everything. That yeah. I mean, are you, about, can I ask you a question? I mean, are you yeah, going through that with some of your clients right now and sort of trying to, you know, breathe a little bit more life into, into some brands and like shifting client expectations around, you know, what is a, what does a healthy brand look like? And like, maybe it looks a little bit messier, a little more imperfect and a little more spontaneous. And like, like, what are those dialogues that you have with your folks? Yeah. For sure. Whenever we're building the brand for for the client and in the end, you know, giving them some advice on marketing and, you know, what what forms of marketing are going to mm-hmm. best align with their values. Mm-hmm. Definitely have had to like shift that a little bit because, of course, mm-hmm. I'm, a, I'm a branding person and I want everything yes. to be yeah. <laughs> perfectly no, designed, perfectly for sure. styled. For sure. But yeah, I, I've had to also accept that like that there is a place for that still, but yep. stuff that feels more candid and and kind of like yes. I don't know authentic. I don't yeah, want to say no, the word authentic because no, it's still not authentic. really authentic. Yeah. But but yeah, stuff that feels a bit more casual, a bit more approachable. It is funny how the the landscape has changed like heavily designed and like edited things used mm-hmm. to be what yes resulted in gaining people's trust exactly. but now it's exactly. kind of flipped exactly. a little bit because that's exactly consumers what I was have gotten say. very smart 
Yeah. <laughs> They've gotten yep. very smart and they recognize when things are super edited. I wonder if it'll, I assume that it'll kind of switch again at some point. Who knows how long that'll take, yeah. but I feel like it'll switch again. Cause now, especially with influencer marketing, like now mm-hmm. people are, are again, learning the, just recognizing yeah, the patterns. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the yes. patterns of, oh, this is, this seems like, oh, they just bought this themselves and now they're sharing, you know, their genuine review of it. But clearly that's not what's actually happening. Clearly there is like a, yes, an agenda <laughs> behind this video, you know? So yes. Yeah. And I think yeah, that's trying one, to one of the cool both in. Yeah. I mean, it's one of the cool things about social media is because it's just an evolving conversation all the time. And as humans, you know, we get bored of, the means of connection. And that's why a lot of different platforms exist and different styles of communications. Like we're always continuously trying to find that connection and it's going to take different shapes and forms over time. And then, you know, with different mediums. So that's, that's the piece of it that I find super fascinating. You know, it's, it's also as a marketer, it's frustrating because you're sort of always in that, like, I have to adjust, I have to retool the thing that Mm -hmm. I thought. And one of the things that I would always tell clients when I was a brand consultant, when I was doing brand strategy was that it's always a moving adventure and you're always responding to what your customer is wanting and needing. And even 15 years ago, people were very much like, okay, we're going to lock in this brand and we've got to have these standards. And it's like, I get that in some companies and in some, you know, it's like at the corporate level, certainly, but, you know, I think Glossier actually is kind of a good example of that, where they built this really stunning brand and kind of put a stake in the ground quite heavily and hadn't necessarily adapted or felt like they needed to change in that environment. And so from the business pers- perspective, I think they found some challenges with that. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, again, always trying to be nimble, always trying to figure out what what, what makes that connection. And often, sometimes it is aesthetics and sometimes it isn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think the important thing is that, yeah, like the aesthetics, the marketing approach or whatever, it can change and, and should yeah. change because <laughs> it's yeah. going to have to. But as long as the the values behind everything are exactly consistent, that's, you know, what matters and and of course is what you've I think done really well. Thank so. you. Thank you. No, I that mm. that is I think kind of the best insight <laughs> of the day is <laughs> is that you know you're right it's it's the mission that and the values that underpin why you're doing it. And I went to a conference when I was developing the business and I forget who I was listening to speak but they basically said, you know, in the end, this is this brand is your value set as an individual. And, and you can hire agencies to do something different than that. But in the end, what is really going to carry you forward is your personal value set, your personal point of view. And, you know, when, when I launched the brand in the pandemic, like I actually kind of didn't, it wasn't syncing up to my person, personality or my aesthetics. I kind of was approaching it more from like what was 
Instagram at that time or YouTube, mm-hmm. and it was more like, "Hey guys, you know, here's the thing that do do." <laughs> and so that you know, again, it's like not my not my personality. And as things started to unravel with communities, I was like, "Oh, okay, I, I I'm going to really have to lean back into what's my voice, what is my mission, what is what do why am I doing this?" And that's when it all clicked in, and that's when it all synced in, and that's when people started to connect with what I was doing. Mm. just both from tone of voice and from visuals it was like you know and a lot of people after I launched were like oh you know what's what's the secret here and I was like well it's it's basically things that resonate for me and you know my my sort of core communication with my folks is just it's really kindness it's like be kind to yourself be kind to your community and see things not only from a critical lens, but also from a positive lens and and say, these are things that I can do to have connection to myself and to my family and to my community. So that's that's a pretty big thread that that runs through everything. So Mm -hmm. yeah, I love that. So whenever you think about the future of the nail care industry. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some positive changes that you hope to see, you know, in the coming years and changes that you're yes. trying to bring about yourself? Because honestly, y- yeah, like nail care, it really has not seen much innovation <laughs> at all, yes. yeah. I would say. So uh-huh. yeah, I'm curious to hear like what your what your hopes are for yeah. the industry. Yeah. I mean, I actually, there's, there's kind of like one tipping point indicator for me. And I think this is going to be kind of a few few years down the road is that when people go to key occasions in their lives, you know, like right now it's graduations, a lot of people are going out and celebrating things and getting dressed up. And I've had a number of people who sort of in their normal day to day are like, hey, I, I feel comfortable going natural with my nails. But when I show up at graduation, I've got to have that mm-hmm. set of nails. Mm-hmm. I've got to, I've got to do it. I can't not do it. And a lot of that is also ingrained in like family patterns where sort of intergenerationally, like grandma will show up and be like, Hey, we're going to, we're going to the salon and getting, everybody's getting their nails done. And for most families, like everybody trots down the salon, everything's cool, but it's that piece of it where you're like, okay, let's break down why that is, why we feel the need to do that. And again, like my stance with salons, like methods, it's like, once in a while, great. But, you know, for the long range is like, okay, even when you're doing that to like realize that you're doing that in a limited way and, mm-hmm. and, and not as a default, not as like this kind of knee jerk, like, Hey, we're gonna, we're just going to do this because that's what, that's how we should show up as women, you know, mm-hmm. and, and what is required of us from like a beauty standards perspective. So, yeah, I mean, when I so five years down the road, when somebody says like, "Hey, I'm going to graduation, but I'm not getting my nails done, and I'm totally okay with it," and you know, mm-hmm. maybe doing a a dry gloss manicure and having my nails like just shined, and I've got a couple of pretty rings on, and I'm doing that. So you know, when people say that to me, like in the future, then I feel like I'm I'm going to be once I'm in that conversation, I'm going to be happy about it. So, mm-hmm. do you feel like because I, I mean the beauty industry like skincare makeup mm-hmm. those have seen big shifts more mm-hmm. towards you know asking questions about ingredients yes. and and everything do you feel like 
nail care is, I mean, it, it, yeah, it's connected, but it maybe is a yeah. little, little bit of an outlier to those. So maybe that's why it, it's taking a little bit, yeah. but maybe it'll bleed that thinking will bleed yeah. into it. Well, I mean, it's, it's interesting. I mean, even when you look at just beauty, sort of beauty wide, there are people will bring up a dialogue. And then again, this is sort of the natural cycle of things. Someone will ask a bunch of questions. People will get on board on asking really sort of tough questions and say, what are your ingredients? Where is Where are your ingredients sourced? Where's your packaging come from? What's your paper content? And all these really amazing questions that people are asking. So you get that and that's the first cycle. But, you know, bigger business adapts to that, right? And they take on a set of terminology that that sort of placates that need, you know, mm-hmm. and, and that's not always, this is where you're seeing a lot of greenwashing where people will say, okay, like bigger companies will say, okay, people are, are interested in X, Y, and Z. How can we message X, mm-hmm. Y, and Z without having to change X, Y, and Z? Mm-hmm. And I feel like we are in that sort of downslope of the conversation where companies have adapted to what people want and they are not necessarily, there's this sort of limited movement in what people are changing. And there are definitely certainly pioneers who continue on and bigger companies who are continuing on with doing better and not just sort of messaging better. So again, this is like full beauty wide, but it's also when you look at just environmental toxins as a whole, it's also things like cookware, you know, which is really in the in the dialogue right now. And and actually cookware is kind of a really interesting parallel to nail care because Teflon, basically the patented Teflon that people were using, that got phased out because of toxicity reasons. But what they're what people are using as nonstick in its place is actually another set of polymers and another set of plastics that have similar properties but are just chemically composed differently. And and But none of those new compounds have been necessarily tested for safety. So mm-hmm. when you see a nonstick piece of cookware, you're still faced with like a plastic layer on top of a metal layer. Mm-hmm. And in my mind, that's that has inherent challenges. So, you know, I think with a lot of the newer nonstick cookware brands, it's like, oh, you know, it's non-toxic. And everybody's like, oh, somebody solved it. Awesome. Mm-hmm. But it's this idea that like, oh, it's been solved and we don't necessarily need to continue to ask questions. Right. And I think that second wave of asking questions to say like, okay, well, what are, what's it, what are those ingredient swaps and what effects do they have on the body and on the planet and on animals and things like that. And so that's my next, that's me. Basically, I'm pushing that next wave of the conversation and saying like, hey, I don't think these swaps are safe. And I've got an alternative to this in the event that someone does create something safe. And again, it's it's like continuing to ask questions all along and not necessarily stop and say, okay, we fixed it mm-hmm. with, with everything. And like my test for when you, when you look at a product and you say to yourself, like, would I compost it? You know, mm-hmm. even, even the product itself, not even the packaging, like, would you buy a face cream and compost it? Would you put it in your compost? 
Mm-hmm. And then you say to yourself, like, okay, like, what is this doing to the soil? And it's the same kind of thing. You know, it's like, what it, again, and if you would compost it and you would put it on your skin, like, then you're in that safety zone based on your own personal comfort levels and levels of research. So again, it's, it's always, to me, it's always about continuing to ask questions and then also making space for people who may or not be advanced in that journey, you know? And I think that's really important part of my brand as well is that like, not everybody is in the same place and how they look at things, how they research things, what they, you know, deem to personally be worth the risk or not worth the risk. And, you know, I, my packaging right now, you know, has quite a bit of plastics in it. And that was an intentional move to try to get adoption into this industry that is very aesthetics driven. The packaging has to sort of fit like it's like it is a beauty product, right? So in order to have that reach and to have that influence, it's like it has to sort of look like something that they would have in their purse and they would have on their nightstand. So there's that trade-off there. And then again, like I've got something that is a zero waste version of it. So there's a zero waste packaging kind of in the works that is trying to have that same elegance and minimalism, but without the plastics. So the same thing with having vegan formulas right now. Again, there, there are people who are very highly concerned and very highly like dedicated. And there are some people that aren't. So, you know, I think that's, it's just recognizing where everybody is on the spectrum and kind of being kind with each other, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and not necessarily saying like, Hey, you're in a bad place because you don't consider this to be, you know, risky in any way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that leads well into my next question. Cause I was mm-hmm. going to ask, you know, what's next? You know, you've been in business for a while now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Are there any plans or or things that you're working on that you can share with us? It's always exciting to to hear, you know, how people, business is always (laughs) evolving, changing, you know, trying things. I mean, I, there's so many, it's not necessarily like one or two specific things. Like I am always like again in this like lab environment of like okay I'm going to maybe develop a product and test it out a little bit but to me it's through product development and trying to just you know connect with as many people as I can with the whole set of needs around nail care and foot care and that that includes men and like what are their needs which mm. are I'm finding quite different than how women view themselves. So it's it's almost a separate brand in a way. Mm-hmm. I mean, so if you see me sort of spin off like a, a unique brand for men, you know, because I feel like they again that that whole sort of set of needs and voices is different. Again, certainly becoming more sustainable in packaging is is a continuous journey. That's I'm sure you've had discussions with other founders over that. It's incredibly challenging both just from a logistic standpoint, but also from a financial standpoint and trying not to take on too much debt in order to <laughs> that place is really mm-hmm. important. So, you know, in many cases, smaller brands don't make those moves because of those reasons. So it's how you grow in order to get to the stage where you have the cash flow in order to purchase materials and packaging that are a little bit more sustainable. So 
yeah, I mean, that's, that's to me, it's, it's basically trying to get the message out, trying to, you know, show up in like spas and salons and hotels and things like that. Mm -hmm. Like I'd really love that. So if there's anybody listening in that world, I would love a conversation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, even just on that topic, like there's a lot of wellness salons who have all kinds of beautiful, holistic aesthetic, you know, aestheticians and body workers and of all these beautiful, you know, holistic modalities. And then as part of the services, they're like, oh, and you can get a manicure. <laughs> and I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, wait, hang on. Mm-hmm. You know, don't, don't you, don't you want to kind of have a more complete holistic package? So it's, it's folks like that where there's, again, that piece of education of like, hey, this could be a little bit more fit into your values and your stance a little bit more seamlessly. So yeah. 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 All those are so exciting. I feel like right when we first started talking, I I was going to ask, because yeah, it kind of made sense, I feel like, for yeah. your products to be in those types of spaces. Yes. Yeah, for, no, for sure. I mean, I would love to have my own space. Yeah, I was going to ask that too, because I think, I mean, yeah. we associate like yes. the nail care industry is ha- like going yeah. to the nail salon is such exactly. a, like, I don't exactly. know, it's what we all think of. Yes. Yeah. I, to be super honest with you, if I lived in any other city besides San Francisco, <laughs> I probably would do it. It's very uh-huh. challenging here from so many different perspectives. It's just not really financially sustainable. And, mm-hmm. and from a time perspective either, just, it's such a challenging retail environment. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I really would love to sort of start with pop-ups and, you know, again, having salon relationships and then seeing what that looks like in different regions. And I've actually also thought about having folks who are customers even who want to be ambassadors and set up little pop-ups in their local clean beauty shop or their hair salon or things like that. And so to get people involved in and in doing that type of thing, because again, it's not highly technical. 